It's me, Ellie Krug, on lovely AM950, as you can see right behind me if you're watching on screen here. How are you? Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am thrilled, oh my goodness, thrilled to be back talking with you for what is our 291st show. I let 290 get by without even highlighting it last week. <laughs> we are in turn uh, uh, working to make show number 300 extra special. Stay tuned on that front. We'll see how that goes. And we, of course, have yet another great show today. Oh, my goodness. The big interview is with Depender Mayel. He is the executive director of the Minnesota branch of the American Civil Liberties Union. We'll, you will really enjoy hearing what Depender has to say about what the Minnesota ACLU is doing and the general ACLU, which of uh, just to know, full disclosure, I write checks to both, just so you know. Okay, in my C block, I will, of course, talk about my work as an idealist. But let us begin here in the A block, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, highlighting our featured idealist of the week. Um, it's an organization and his background, uh, something extremely consequential politically happened on Tuesday of this week. Um, as you may recall, it was the vote in Ohio to recast the state constitution to require a 60 percent uh, majority vote on popular citizen-issued referendums. Known as Issue 1, the vote was seen as a way to prevent Ohioans from passing an abortion access measure that will be on this November's ballot. The Issue, uh, the issue 1 uh, proposal uh, was handily defeated on Tuesday in a 57 to 43 percent vote. Okay? So what the Republicans in Ohio wanted – they wanted to make sure that you needed – that you could get 60 percent in order to pass a, a citizen-issued referendum. And right now it's codified that it's only 50 percent and Ohioans defeated the measure to change it up to 60 percent. It's still 50 percent. Now, one of the architects to defeating issue one in Ohio was a grassroots organization and that, that is this week's idealist. It is Red Wine and Blue. What an incredible name, Red Wine and Blue. I had heard of uh, RWB before, but only fleetingly. And so I decided to learn more. And let me tell you, Red Wine and Blue is actively working and succeeding to create positive change. Hey, that's what idealists do, right? What is Red Wine and Blue? First, it is the brainchild of Katie Paris, who according to LinkedIn – um, her LinkedIn profile, she worked in national politics through the 2018 elections. After having her second child post that election, she felt a need to refocus with suburban women in Ohio. As she writes, this is in her LinkedIn post, after digging through the data and talking to women across the state who had become engaged since 2016, I became inspired. Red, Wine, and Blue, led by an amazing all-female team of PTA moms and digital divas officially launched in the fall of 2019. That's off of her LinkedIn. She noted that suburban Katie, this is Katie Paris, noted that suburban women played a pivotal role in deciding the 2020 election and could play an even bigger role going forward. So from that beginning, 
Red Wine and Blue started to organize, which included a killer website. And trust me, I know a thing or two about good websites when I see one. So for the organizational values, here is a sample of their copy. Here's This is off their website. Um, talking about their values. So here's under the heading of we exist to lift lift each other up. Uh, What we have here is when women face an obstacle, we link arms and conquer it together. We know that we must that we rise most quickly when we carry as we climb. We are in this together. Another heading. We're optimistic and unafraid. We won't be bullied out of doing the right thing. We won't let cynicism, cynicism, cynicism or apathy hold us back. Um, uh, then uh, on this one, we are not saviors. We are simply doing our part. People of color and black women especially have done a disproportionate amount of labor to advance issues and candidates that align with our values. It's time for all suburban women to do our part. And lastly, under values, this is what I want to highlight. They say, we believe trust-based relationships are the foundation for everything. You could have taken those words out of Ellie Krug's mouth. No victory is worth undermining any woman's privacy or trust. As we engage more women and grow in our efforts, we will do so with constant respect for the trust-based relationships that make this work possible. Wonderful, wonderful copy. (laughs) And this is grassroots, common sense, touch your heart, but not too much kind of stuff. Um, It's the exact kind of copy that I would write. For example, go visit elliekrug.com and you'll see how I write copy, which is not far off of what I just read. And it has worked. Last August, there was a ballot measure. So August of 2022, there was a ballot measure in Ohio with with a 7.9% state turnout. This week, nearly 700,000 Ohioans uh, for this election had cast early ballots, which was five times higher than last August. In total, last August, 640,000 Ohioans voted. This August, it was more, if you can believe this, more than 3 million voters this week voted in Ohio. Compare that to the last three primaries in Ohio that had 1.7 to 1.8 million voters. You get a sense now of how motivated Red, Wine, and Blue, and I'm sure there were a coalition of other organizations, got people fired up in Ohio. Um, In addition to what happened in Ohio, other red, wine, and blue initiatives include Freedom to Parent to counter the parent rights movement, including the Moms for Liberty. The the motto is Freedom to Parent 21st Century Kids. They also have a Book Ban Busters initiative and, of course, Reproductive Access uh, with an initiative titled The More You Row. I mean – they're having a good time doing this work, and I, my hat is off to them, okay? Right now, Red Wine and Blue has chapters in Ohio, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. I, I've got to believe all of that is incredibly strategic, okay? Do they need a chapter in Minnesota? Yeah, sure, okay, but not like we, they need a chapter in North Carolina or in Virginia or in Pennsylvania. States that are swing, states that are not reliably blue. And and so, yeah, that's, I mean, and, you know, this is about, I mean, they're so astute because this, it's, it's the moms. It's the suburban moms. I mean, let's face it. They run the households. They do. And 
they have their finger on the pulse. And for them with their girls that have daughters, they want, they want the world to be a certain way to, for their daughters to protect them going forward. And for their queer kids, hey, come on. We know what's going on in America. Stay tuned for C Block. I'll talk about it then. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Red, Wine, and Blue also has two podcasts. One, uh, one titled the Suburban Woman Podcast, and the other titled the 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 uh, la- uh, the last of ex- the loss of extremism. I-, I may have that title wrong. Sorry about that. Something about extremism, Ellie. You know, it would be really good if you could read your writing. All right, so check out this truly incredible idealistic organization, Red, Wine, and Blue. All you have to do is Google it. You're going to come up. Red, Wine, W-I-N-E, wonderful title, and Blue. You will be learning more about them and the suburban women they are motivating as we go forward into 2024. I have no doubt, no doubt, that their success in Ohio is going to propel them to do more things to get greater traction in these other states. Okay? All right. So that's our featured idealist. We're going to do the interview of Depender Mael, who is the executive director of the Minnesota chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. Now, um, that interview I conducted back in June. And you're, so it's going to sound a little dated. It's not a repeat. This first time you're going to be hearing it. But I want to make sure that you note something. I interviewed a Depender within a couple of hours of the Supreme Court issuing its um, its decision essentially banning affirmative action in America. Okay, and so some of that discussion is about some of my interview with Depender is about that that case, which of course is still timely because we still got stuff going on. Stay tuned for the C block. Okay, because you're going to hear me talking about that. All right, that's what we got for the A Block with our featured idealist. When I come back, you'll hear my pre-recorded interview with Depender, and then after that, I'll be back talking to you again, like live. Okay, well, sort of live. We're taping this the day before um, on the 11th, but talking to you um, about stuff that I do as an idealist and other stuff that's important to me. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few trend, transgender radio hosts. In the world, <laughs> that and three dollars and eighty nine cents will get you a cup of coffee or hot chocolate. I drink hot chocolate at Caribou. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Review, and I am just. Oh, actually, hold on one. I think the the delay was off by like two seconds. If you can start right now, now it's recording. All right. Okay, everyone, it's time for the big interview, and I am thrilled to have Depender uh, Mayel, who is the executive director of uh, the ACLU chapter for Minnesota. Depender, how are you? It's thrilled. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Ellie. I really appreciate it. So just to introduce you to my audience, uh, you, you've been the executive director of the Minnesota chapter of the ACLU for a while now. But before that, you and I have some things in common, which I was thrilled to read. You know, we both have some Boston connections, yeah, Boston roots. I'm going to assume maybe you grew up in the Boston area. You know, I went to D.C. Law School, you know, and uh, you're also a graduate of uh, Brooklyn Law School, uh, you have prior legal services 
background. And uh, for a good while, you were the executive director of the Center for New Americans at the University of Minnesota Law School. So Depender, you have you have this wonderful, just wonderful background about public service. And I am thrilled to have you on LE 2.0 Radio. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you welcoming me. Um, I did spend, you know, about, you know, a good amount of time in the Boston area, but I was born in New York um, and, uh, you know, was raised um, on the south shore of Long Island. Ah, okay. And, uh, so um, just wanted to make sure that was clear. <laughs> okay. No, that's great. But, you know, but, you know, Boston generally is just a great place to be. Yeah. So, so Depender, we're, we're uh, doing this interview on uh, June 30th. And uh, and this will be played for another time. But right off the bat, I, I, you know, as if on cue and this has actually happened to me before because the Dobbs decision came down literally right. as I was driving to do the, uh, the radio show last year. So today we got word from the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court is permitting uh, religious discrimination. And I'm very well understanding that you haven't even seen the opinion and also understanding that the Minnesota ACLU has not even put out any kind of a public statement for talking points. But as a human, can you just give me give me your reaction? It's I mean, th these are gut punches, right? And uh, you, you mentioned last year, it, it feels like there's a new tradition. Um, and that's, you know, right before July 4th, the decisions come out last year, it was the Dobbs decision right on the same weekend. Um, and I'm, I spend the 4th of July weekend, you know, reading uh, these decisions and these concurrences and dissents to see how radically different uh, the, the United States civil rights and civil liberties structure is being reimagined and reconstituted. Um, so, um, and, it is dramatic. I, I mean, it's it's good to remember how far in, in one year, how different this country has become since the Dobbs decision itself. Yep. Um, you yep. know, uh, it, for uh, for America out there outside of Minnesota, um, it's it's 1950s America for for the access to abortion. Um, it's 1950s America for voting rights uh, in places. Um, so we keep on going backwards. Um, and so this decision um, in the 303 creative decision is, is another one of the, those steps backwards and um, digesting it, absorbing it um, alongside, you know, the decision in affirmative action. Um, it's, it's our new tradition here. And it's a, it's a tragic one. You know, I, I've just got to tell you, I mean, the decision came down, you know, a couple of hours ago, where the Supreme Court has essentially said that the, you know, the creator of a website um, can, you know, choose to discriminate against same-sex couples and refuse to create websites for same-sex couples. That's the basic, uh, you know, of the, of the decision. But I just got to tell you, the very first word that I wrote down or very first phrase was checkerboard. Because what this is going to do it's going to create a, a patchwork, a checkerboard of places, even here in Minnesota, I am anticipating, where, where we're going to start seeing signs that, you know, 
due to our religious beliefs, we do not serve LGBTQ people here. Okay. And, and God forbid, but we may see, see signs that say, due to our religious beliefs, we do not serve anyone who identifies as non-Christian. Due to our religious beliefs, we, we refuse to serve any couples where the couples are of different skin colors. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I am, you know, and it's already, and we don't, I mean, there's much more I want to talk with you about. Sure. Yeah. Don't need to get down this rabbit hole, but we're we're already at least for me as a transgender person, as a queer person. Okay, it's already a country where there's there are no go places. There are no go, you know. I mean, I've got people that they they won't take their you know kids to go see their grandparents in a red state, you know, because one of their kids happens to be trans or non-binary or queer or whatever, and and God forbid the child gets sick in one of those states. And, and, and what kind of, will they be able to get medical treatment? How will they be marginalized at the emergency room? You know, that kind of thing. And now it's just what this decision is going to do is it's just going to make it so much worse. It really is. Right. So, um, so, I mean, uh, and I, I understand that. I feel that. And I, I, this is the checkerboard is a great, great analogy for what happened. It's the same thing that happened um, uh, with the abortion decision, you know, this, this question of what if I'm in one of these states, what if one of my child is going to, to college in one of these states um, and needs access to, to health services? Um, you know, um, the, the decision is pretty stark, right? You know, no one should face discrimination because of who they are, or who they love. And it, the, the Colorado law, much like many other state laws that protect against discrimination, uh, really are just saying that business is open to the public must be open to all. Um, and uh, I mean, this case is never, it was never about websites. I mean, it's about people. Um, and, and that's the, the, the concern here. Um, and while the, the case is limited, right. Um, the case it really only applies to uh, um, specific businesses that sell original and tailored expressive products, right. That's where it's, you know, they that group of uh, you know, that those group of businesses uh, are now have the ability to violate laws against discrimination, right? Which is remarkable, right? Based on their religion, right? Um, you know, the the First Amendment, uh, just as a reminder, has has two religion clauses built into it: the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment Clause basically establishes the kind of separation between church and state, as we know it, right? Um, you can't have a, you know, a state sanctioned religion, um, although, you know, the Supreme Court is chipping away at that wall pretty drastically. This um, uh, invokes more of the free exercise of religion clause, which means that you have the right to practice whatever religion you want. Um, but the, the common notion when that, within that concept was that um, within the laws of the country, you weren't allowed to violate the laws of the country if your religion wanted you to do that. For example, you know, uh, if you're, if you wanted to build a, a giant church, you still had to uh, follow the, the, the permitting laws of, of, of the state. Right. Um, if, you know, um, you know, the, whatever the laws were, this doesn't give you the right to violate them. Um, and so that's what it does here for this limited group, for this limited business yeah. and this limited company. But um, that, that door ekes open um, and it is, uh, 
uh, like you said, you know, this patchwork, this fear, where does it go? Um, and what is it that, that is allow, allowed to happen? It's, it's shocking. It should shock most people, right? It's very different than the, the way that the country has been set up yeah. and established, you know, since its inception. Well, but, but, but also, and, and we're going to move on, but also the problem when I talk about checkerboard is that at least as it comes to abortion rights, as it comes to reproductive freedom, you at least have a state that says, you know, we're going to protect those rights. The checkerboard around this decision is that even in a blue state, you can have people now who are going to just say, no, we're going to discriminate. Um, in terms of our services, in terms of you being able to walk in the restaurant door. And I know that's not a restaurant case, but you you know, you know as well as I do, we're both lawyers. This is just, you know, it's just Mack truck time, time to drive trucks through this decision. So, okay. All right. Enough of both of us about this decision, which of course we'll both be speaking with our representatives representative uh, constituents constituencies in a variety of ways going forward. Tell us about um, the, the Minnesota chapter of the ACLU. What does it do, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and just kind of give us the whole breath and, and also throw in how we can support it, because I want to make sure that you get a chance to talk about supporting that chapter, which uh, listeners, just so you know, I write a check to them every year. Very important. Okay, go ahead. Great. Well, thank you. Um, so uh, the, the Minnesota affiliate of the ACLU, um, you know, our vision is really a pretty clear vision. Our vision is that our state and our country um, is a state and country that fulfills the promise of our constitution, the state and, and the federal constitution, to protect civil rights and liberties for everyone. Um, that's extending those rights and liberties um, to everybody. Um, and that, that's the long journey and story of the ACLU since it's start. You know, in, in Minnesota, it's been around for 70 years, closer nationally, closer to 100 years. Um, and we are, you know, especially mindful of the need to protect the interests of people who have been disfavored and marginalized throughout this country's history and, and bringing those rights um, to all. So um, the ACLU of Minnesota is, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization. Uh, we defend civil liberties for everyone, regardless of politics. Um, we uh, sue uh, Democratic governments and Republican governments alike, um, and uh, that's what we're here to do. When the, when the government goes uh, across the line and steps on your rights um, and, and your rights in your life, uh, in your relationships, in your bedroom, in your doctor's office, in your home, um, that's where the ACLU steps in. Okay. Tell, and, and with the Minnesota chapter, you have some lawyers on staff, but you you mainly work through a network of attorneys who are willing to do some pro bono work. Do I have that right? Well, you know, so we have a large pro bono network, but the organization has grown uh, dramatically um, as in a lot of um, organizations. We have a pretty significant uh, litigation team here. Um, we have a staff here at the ACLU of Minnesota of about 30. Um, and uh, you know, uh, our size, our organization um, nearly doubled or tripled in size since the start of the Trump administration. Um, and that's that was the case for many of the affiliates, for most of the affiliates across the, the, the country um, and national as well. I mean, if, if you remember, um, it was in the 
the early weeks of the Trump administration that the ACLU uh, National and ACLU of Massachusetts um, brought the case that uh, resulted in the nationwide injunction against the Trump Muslim ban. Um, And, uh, you know, the ACLU had been in the national security space uh, since the start of, uh, you know, the war on terror, quote unquote, war on terror, and and even before that. Um, But, you know, so we were specifically poised to kind of be involved and lead there. Um, And um, as we all know, through the Trump administration, uh, things changed dramatically on, on lots of different fronts, voting rights. Um, LGBT rights, you know, so we were we were drawn into a lot of different uh, areas um, just from from the administration. And then, of course, the murder of George Floyd brought the ACLU uh, front and front and center into, um, you know, confronting uh, the, the the policing practices in the state um, and with the city of Minneapolis. Um, so, um, you know, uh, we have a robust litigation team that's been litigating those cases. You know, we sued on, on, on behalf of protesters who were harmed uh, by um, law enforcement um, after uh, George Floyd's murder at protests, um, as well as uh, uh, journalists who had their First Amendment rights violated and were treated horrendously by law enforcement after those protests. Um, we also uh, maintain uh, cases uh, ongoing cases against the city of Minneapolis and other uh, agencies around um, uh, violations of rights around uh, very violent homeless encampment sweeps uh, that have recently uh, happened, um, as well as, you know, the way that the city is managing disciplinary records around policing. So, uh, w- you know, uh, we are very active doc in, in that space. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, across many issues as well. well. We work for immigrant rights in southern Minnesota um, and have won a number of cases out there, um, as well as issues around systemic inequality um, and housing uh, and housing rights for people who have been subjected to um, uh, in, uh, unfair housing ordinances, uh, rental ordinances, um, and, and uh, protecting those. those- Yo, you, just, uh, you just got a big case. Was it in, um, was it in St. Louis Park? Where- uh, well, the recent case in Bloomington. So Bloomington. we just, uh, yes, I think I mean, it must have been, and this, this week is really uh, mashing together, but two days ago, uh, we filed a case uh, against the city of Bloomington um, for uh, the wrongful arrest of uh, a young man, a young black man uh, for, um, and the use of, uh, the use of facial recognition technology Um that resulted in this arrest. And the, you know, the sad thing about this beyond the kind of, you know, fourth amendment clear violations here is that here's someone who, if you had done just even uh, the basic investigations, basic, basic investigations, you would have seen that um, the, this person was during the crimes that he was alleged for committing was either at work asleep or at a birthday party with pictures posted on social media. And anyone would have seen that and figured that out. But the police arrested him. Um, They treated him, they put on an alert that said that he might be armed and dangerous, which put him at serious risk. They charged him. Um, He was held for five days. Um, And all the while, while, you know, his public defender is trying to get the law enforcement agencies to look at the basic evidence. Um, uh, they don't. 
um, and eventually, um, you know, he had to go through a long process to get his case um, expunged. Um, and uh, it, it's just one of uh, an example of, of, of uh, policing, right? Um, and uh, right. racial bias in policing, and uh, and also the, the the need for the for us to make sure that we're protecting Fourth Amendment rights as technology advances. You know, the Fourth Amendment was there before computers, before telephones, before cell phones, before AI. Um, and, you know, you can't just use that to just, um, especially since it's faulty. I mean, it was, I mean, this was an egregious case. I mean, the, the, they had a photo of the suspect. The suspect had no tattoos. Our client has tattoos. The, the suspect was, uh, our, our, our client is tall and skinny. The suspect was not tall and, and skinny. Right? Like it was like very, it's like anyone who looked at a picture for, you know, a second would have figured it out. Okay. Well, listen, thank you for that. And, and uh, I got two questions left and and we only have four minutes left. So two questions. Okay. First, if somebody wants to support the Minnesota chapter of the ACLU, how would they do that? Uh, Become a member, become a member, go to our website, sign up to become a member of the ACLU, um, our national chapter, our local chapter, um, and become part of this network. And you should know that when you support the Minnesota ACLU, the affiliate, um, we have a, you know, this is a cost sharing environment, right? You know, your your dollars go to all of the fights happening across this country, whether it's uh, fight, fighting for, you know, voters rights in, in, in the southern states um, or, you know, uh, the rights of for transgendered kids in, in other states as well. So, um, you know, uh, it's really an important donation. It should be a, a regular donation because um, you know, yeah. throughout our history, you know, if you think about the ACLU's involvement and the story of America and our rights, you know, whether it was Miranda, Roe versus Wade, Brown versus Board. I mean, we were whether we were amicus or whether we were leading counsel, the Loving case for interracial marriages. The ACLU was there. Korematsu, the ACLU was there. Um, so it really is an investment mm-hmm. in in our democracy and your rights. And then last question, Depender, what made you an idealist? How did you become so idealistic? It's a great question. It's a great question. You know, um, I was born in New York, but my parents are uh, from what is, were born and, and, and well, let me also that over, but my parents are originally from what is now Pakistan. Um, they were, my dad was born there when it was all one India and was forced to leave the country when the country was partitioned because of his religion, Sikhism. Um, and uh, they eventually left India altogether and came to the United States. And that history and story of uh, escaping uh, persecution really was part of my, my framework and my understanding of how I saw the whole world um, and that the government um, can make mistakes and can you know, and is not always correct. Um, and then growing up as uh, as the kid of immigrants in New York in a middle class town, you know, and just seeing life and the challenges, and you know, um, seeing the layers of um, you know uh, that that people had to go through, I just got drawn to to wanting to make the play the world a better place, um, and it became the the mission of my entire life and my career and. Um, eventually, you know, I was in Massachusetts for a while, uh, working, uh, with low income victims of domestic violence, uh, in, in, in Massachusetts and really understood, got a good understanding for violence, American poverty, 
um, and just the challenges that people face in their their day-to-day lives. And I just kept barreling into more of a want to to make make an impact. It's, well, thank you. I mean, you know, it's not a given that you would do that, okay? And, I mean, you could have gone with your skill set, you could have gone and worked for a big, you know, law firm be making at this point maybe a seven-figure salary, okay? And I just want to thank you for all of your public service and all the work that you have done. I'm, I'm just really grateful that you're here in Minnesota, and I'm grateful that you're now heading um, the Minnesota chapter of the ACLU. So thank you. Thank you, Larry, and Mayo. thank you for all you do. I mean, we've known each other for years, and I, I mean, it's yeah, I find it to be so helpful and fortunate to have, you know, friends and, and partners, and, you know, um, you've been somebody I've known since I got here. So thank you for all you do and oh. for all the inspiration you provide. Oh, you, thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, listen, I wish we had more time, um, but maybe we'll have you back on. Okay. Sure. And, uh, but Depender Mail, thanks for being on LA 2.0 Radio. Keep doing what you're doing. And listeners, please support the, support the ACLU, support the Minnesota chapter of the ACLU. Keep up, keep up on what they're doing. They have a lovely newsletter. It comes out. It's just great. And so, Depender, take care and uh, and just carry on. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Excellent. Got it recorded. Okay. Sounds great. Depender, thanks so very much for being sure, on. There. Yeah. Kelly 2.0 Radio, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Depender. And uh, by all means, please support the ACLU. Minnesota chapter, the big the big boys nationally, just please, okay? They need it. They really do. By the way, in the break, in the interim, I figured out the second podcast from Red Wine and Blue is the cost of extremism. I don't I, – you know, I'm just getting old and, uh, you know, the handwriting. It's this, So the, they have two podcasts, the Suburban Woman podcast and then the Cost of Extremism podcast. Go check them out, okay? All right. There you go. All right. C-Block. Talk about my work as an idealist. <laughs> two things to bring up with you. First, um, uh, me actually doing the work. So this earlier this week, um, Monday and Tuesday, I was in Atlanta. Yeah. Um training bankruptcy judges and uh, other people in the clerk of court, the bankruptcy clerk of court's office. I think I trained everybody. They, it was kind of a mandatory training for folks. And uh, I did gray area thinking. People loved it, you know. And um, I just got to tell you, you, you get into Atlanta, there's just a whole different vibe. And I'll tell you why there's a different vibe. Because there is a huge black middle class, you know, in Atlanta, and there are just all these black folks around. And I stayed at a hotel, um, the Reverb, which is a hard rock hotel. Oh, let me just tell you, what a wonderful place! The entire staff, everybody, black, and 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 uh, and and I'm like, you know, 
I'm like the minority uh, sitting at the bar, okay, uh, trying to have some have a, have a meal and and a cocktail, and so um, and you know what? I loved it. I really did because it reinforced for me this is what America's all about. It is now up here in Minnesota, we do not have we do we have extremes. We have we have people who are at the top of the pyramid and we have people who are at the bottom of the pyramid. Okay, we do not have a whole lot of people in the middle um, for the black community. We don't. And part of that is we, you know, black folks come here. They don't find uh, the weather is always an issue, but they also don't find it to be particularly hospitable and then they leave. And so that that is a continuing problem our our state and particularly the Twin Cities has had. Not a problem down in Atlanta. And I, I – it was refreshing. Okay. That's all I got to say about that. All right. Me as the idealist doing the work this week. Now I want to talk about a new alarming trend um, brought again this week. Okay. New alarming trend. And, you know, I, I – you know, you just heard the interview about affirmative action with Depender. So this week, two major corporations were sued by this brand new organization named America First Legal. It is a nonprofit headed by Stephen Miller. Is that name familiar to you? You know, Stephen Miller, the Trump, uh, you know, Trump fame advisor and the architect of the family separation policy at the border. That's Stephen Miller. And so he has launched this thing called America First Legal. And what they are now doing, and this is brand new, this is happening this week, they're starting to target corporations for their diversity, equity, and inclusion program. So the first company to get sued this week was Target Corp., our own Target Corp. It was sued on behalf of an investor who owns 216 shares. The investor claims that Target's board of directors misstated um, – and and apparently was essentially derelict in its oversight of social and political risks of selling LGBTQ products. You knew where this was going, right? You knew this was about the LGBTQ stuff. This plaintiff, represented by America First Legal, okay, and they're also suing Brian Cornell, the, the president of Cornell, uh, the you know the president of Target. They want damages um, uh, for the decline in Target stock price. And they want a judge to rule that the company violated U.S. security laws. Talk about um, getting a board and a company nervous, which, of course, is the whole purpose. Now, that was Target. Okay, that was on uh, Tuesday. On Wednesday, the next day, another lawsuit dropped. This one against Kellogg, you know, the cereal people. Okay, they were sued by America First over their diversity, equity, and inclusion policies of trying to hire and promote more people from marginalized communities. God forbid a company works to change the landscape created by white supremacy. God forbid a company would work to do that. So the claim there with Kellogg's is it's violating the EOC laws. Um, And they're also criticizing Kellogg because – um, it's Cheez-It Crackers in June featured RuPaul, the drag queen, and uh, its cereal boxes uh, had the pride, you know, 
rainbow on them for, for a Pride Month. So these two lawsuits, I mean, and they're going to be more coming, more coming. This is a brand new tactic aimed at chilling corporate behavior that heretofore, I mean, within the last decade has finally said, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to do the right thing, you know, and what is, and, and there are a whole lot of LGBT, whole lot of queer people out there. We're going to support them because historically, as recently as 1969, it was illegal to be LGBTQ plus in almost all of America, except in Illinois. And so we're going to write that wrong. And now this organization, headed by Nazi Stephen Miller, I'm sorry, well, I just said that, and I'm a unifier, not a divider, but he's the guy that came up with the idea that you're going to take kids away from their moms. I don't know what you call that man otherwise, okay? But this is the guy, the architect of these movements, and we're going to see other companies getting sued, and what's going to happen is boards of directors are going to direct uh, their, you know, their president, their CEO, they're going to direct them to pull back on diversity stuff, on pride, and we're going to have this incredible chilling in the marketplace. And people are going to go back into the closet. People are going to go back and not get jobs based on their skin color or the country of birth or what they look like. And we're going to go backwards. We are. I mean, you know, and I've been seeing this in my work for the last year about how the work is pulled back from Ellie Krug, the kind of work that I do. And this is just an extension of that. Stay tuned. And you know, what can you do? You can be a shareholder. You can write to your companies and say, don't pull back. You can do that. But keep your, keep your eye on all of this. I think it's going to get way worse. I am angry about it. I am. Okay. On a more positive note, I hope you liked this show. I got to do a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. You, all of you know how I love Brett. I actually love Brett a great deal. Um, and to you, my listeners, now listen. Between now and next week, okay, will you do – I always say this. I keep trying to say this at the end of every show. Will you go out and do something to make the world better? Will you? You know, tell somebody that you care about them. Hold a door open. <clears throat> Have a conversation with a stranger. Compliment the caribou person on their attire or the color of their hair, okay, or colors. All right? Will you go do that for me, please? All right. In the meantime – Go out and do that, and then I'll talk to you next week. Ellie Krug, over and out.